Folks, if you turn with me now to God's Word, uh, I've only two verses for you. We're finishing up Hebrews 11 tonight, and on the small print Bible, it's page uh, 1008, 1008, and on the large print Bible, it's 1284. So 1008 and 1284. Uh, the Hebrews 11 chapter, if you're new to this, it's uh, the hall of fame of faith, if you like, all the way through. Uh, we read of these figures. Some are really famous, some we will know. Uh, probably there's not any one of us that doesn't know who Moses is. We've all heard of Father Abraham. Uh, there are others like them throughout this passage, David and Samuel. We know these guys, and yet there are others like Jephthah, who we touched on last week, Barak, and and others like those guys who perhaps we don't know. But all the way through this passage, speaking of these Old Testament uh, believers, the two words that stand out about them is by faith. Every one of them saved by faith. And tonight, as we read the final two verses, uh, we hear something else about them before uh, Paul moves on into chapter 12. Looking at verses 39 and 40, we will read them twice together. And this is God's word. I have a bit of an apology to make. Last Sunday night I, I made a, a reference to Joe Swinson, uh, who was the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party. Now, I haven't been in touch with her this week to apologize. Uh, she doesn't know who I am. I don't think she gets the podcast or anything else. Uh, but I mentioned her last week, and I heard the other night that she lost her seat. Highest casualty of the election, she was the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party. She had been the leader of the Liberal Democrats since the 22nd of July. The 12th was hardly over, uh, and she got a new job. Everything was good. She was lying on the beach with her family in the middle of the summer. Everything was wonderful. And yet 144 days later, just the other night, she fell 149 votes short to hold her seat. And I feel like, to use an East Belfast expression, I put the scud on her. I don't know if you've heard about scudding. I don't think it's biblical. I don't think it's like crossing your fingers. or None of that's in the Bible. But I, I feel like I put the scud on the girl. She was wanting to be the Prime Minister. That was her dream. She said, I'm standing to be the next Prime Minister. And here she is, as of tonight, out of a job. In fact, she's lost two jobs. She's not the leader anymore, and she's not an MP anymore. So, so Joe, Joe, she's not dead, Joe, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have scudded you. Now, why do I start with poor Joe? And if I do see her, if I get her email address, I will write to her. Why do I start with poor Joe? I could have easily started with poor Tom Elliott at 60, what, three votes? Could have started with poor Nigel Dodds, a couple of thousand votes. Could have started with Emma Little Pengelly which was about 17,000 votes that she fell short by. Regardless of the number of votes, all these individuals this past week fell short. And tonight as they sit at home, uh, they will no doubt be licking their wounds, wondering how they missed it by such a slim margin, sad about a career that's come to a close. What are they going to do next? They didn't quite get across the finish line. And folks, it is in that spirit that we look at these final couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 11. Because we have been delighted, I hope, as we have looked all our way through this passage and been reminded constantly that all of these individuals were saved by faith. Now that might seem like a labored point, but you would be surprised how many people struggle with that concept and really wrestle with, with how was anybody in the Old Testament saved whatsoever. In Hebrews 11, Paul gives us a very clear explanation of how it happened 
constantly, 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 it was by faith. He begins the chapter by explaining what faith is. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is this absolutely rock-solid confidence in what we hope in. It might be that you will be a prime minister or an MP, but in the Christian's case, faith is that absolute rock-solid confidence in the fact that, that we know, we hope, that in Christ we are saved and one day we go to glory. Faith is that. And faith is the conviction of things that we cannot see. Faith is that absolutely rock-solid, convinced, 100%, without a doubt, absolute assertion that that we cannot see Jesus now, we cannot see heaven now, we cannot see how the future is going to unfold, but by faith we trust the word of God and what he has promised us. This is faith. A way that we would put it in the Reformed Church is that faith is a receiving and a resting in Christ as he has offered in the gospel. This is faith. However you want to define it, this is what we're talking about here. And all the way through, we read of these men and women who by faith were saved. They were made right with God by faith, by trusting in that Christ who was to come. Who was to come. And that is the difference here. These men and women were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but for them, Christ was still to come. They were looking forward. They were uh, longing for the day that he would arrive, and they perhaps hoped that it would be in their lifetime. They maybe wondered if it would be in their grandchild's lifetime or great-grandchild, but not a single one of them lived to see the day that to us a child was born and a son was given. And yet as we begin in verse 39, Paul tells us that, do you know what? That didn't change their standing with God. They didn't get to see the baby boy. They didn't get to live in the days after his crucifixion and resurrection the way we do. But still, according to verse 39, all of these, from start to finish, all of these were commended through their faith. Every single one of them received their commendation through their faith. They received their reward through their faith. The apostle gives us absolutely no room to say, well, it was perhaps faith and works. Or maybe it was works altogether. Or maybe it was law keeping. Ten commandments keeping. There's no room for that. Every single one of these, if they are saved, and we believe they are because that's what the Bible says, every single one received this reward, this commendation through their faith. And immediately, that should cause us to rejoice because firstly, it shows us that the Christian life and the Christian church that we are part of is something greater and bigger than, than you and I could ever possibly imagine. This week we have seen dynasties ending. Another politician you might have read about or seen this week was Dennis Skinner, aged 89, and he was standing again. He was standing again, hoping to keep his seat in Bolsover, and he lost. It has been a labor-held seat since the very start of the constituency, and this week they went to the Conservatives. This week they went to the Conservatives. And you might think, poor, poor Dennis Skinner, the beast has fallen. Poor Dennis Skinner, he, he didn't quite make it across the finishing line. But, but for you and me, it's not about trying to get that right number of votes. It's not about trying to to be good for as long as we possibly can. You and I, tonight, we have received a reward in Christ by our faith. 
And we are part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, which doesn't last for 50 years like Mr. Skinner's seat in Bolsover, but it's lasted for as long as there have been those who have called upon the name of the Lord. And we believe the first two members of the church of Jesus Christ were Adam and Eve, who in the garden the Lord covered. This rich symbolism of them being covered by a righteousness that was not their own. They could sing our last song with us. And so from that day to this day, you and I are part of this fellowship of faith, this community of believers that stretches back way to the very beginning. And does not put a different slant on when we, we speak of the church of Jesus Christ. I was in a conversation this week uh, with a lady uh, who's also a friend of mine, so I didn't get this lady by the throat this time. But she introduced me to another friend of hers, and she says, oh, this is Scott. Uh, he's a minister. He's one of the enemy, right? And I didn't want to get upset, so I made a joke of it, and I said, well, hold on there. I'm not, like, I'm not a Muslim. Calm yourself down. What are you talking about? You know, relax. I said, oh, no, I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I, I, you know, he's a Presbyterian. And the other lady looked at her and went, oh, right, okay. All right. We understand. Like I say, I'm a, a gentleman, I'm a nice guy, so I didn't slap faces, didn't hit anybody or anything else like that. But isn't that the way we talk about each other sometimes? Was he, is he solid? What, what's your minister? Is he, is he straight down the line? Does he preach the gospel? Is he, you know, what church do you go to? Methodist. Oh, Methodist. Oh, dear. Methodist. We're part of the church. There are other labels that, of course, we attach to ourselves and we're passionate about, but we're not the enemy. Next Sunday night, me and we, Billy and Robin there, who are singing the day, we're going to blow the socks off that church around the corner. We're going to go and sing our wee Presbyterian hearts out. And as we do so, we're going to look at the Methodists and we're going to smile at them. And the Baptists too. And first, and whoever else wants to come. And why? Because every single believer in this town, regardless of their label, was commended through their faith in Christ. It has always been this way. How do we please God? By faith. How are we made right with God? By faith. How do we receive Christ's righteousness credited to our account? By faith in Christ. There's no other way. Old Testament, New Testament, no other way. And so although these men and women of faith did not see or receive that which was promised, they were commended by their faith. Let me hopefully not get too sentimental tonight, folks, about this, but think of your loved ones who have gone on before us. Think of those who, who are dear to you and who once sat in pews in this church, but, but there was that day, it was a Wednesday afternoon, it was cold and it was wet, but you were here and with a funeral for that individual. And the only thing that made that day any better was that your granny was a, a believer and she went to be with Jesus. The only thing that made that day any more bearable was the fact that your Uncle Jim was a believer and he went to be with Jesus. And when we think of them, we, we cannot see them now. We miss them dearly. But by faith they are with Jesus. By faith they have received their commendation. I have been speaking to a wee woman who recently lost her husband and she said to me a few times now, Scott, if we could somehow get him back, he wouldn't want to come. And what she means is that he's in glory. So why would he want to come back to Balnehenge? 
Why would he want to return to Boris Johnston and votes and Christmas rush and people walking all over you in the Christmas market? Why would he want to when he has received the commendation for his faith? Folks, that's what lies ahead for you and me. If we are men and women of faith, then we have nothing to fear about the future. And there's a lot of fear going about. There's a lot of fear in our towns and, and villages and cities. We wonder, what will the future hold? What passport will I have? Where will my kids go to school? What way is the world going to go? There's a wild lot of fear flowing freely about the place. And yet, for the believer, we have received and therefore will rest in Christ. And by that faith in him, we will receive our commendation. Just like the believers of old, just like the believers in the New Testament age, we will receive our commendation by faith. And that was true of Abraham and Moses and Rahab and David and Samuel and all these other men and women that we've spoken about. They received their commendation through faith, even though they did not receive what was promised. Even though they did not get to see the fulfillment of that promise that we began our service with. They didn't get to see Jesus. They didn't get to hear about him. They, they had no understanding of the walking on water or the feeding of the multitude. They had no understanding that this Jesus would come and, and die a sinner's death on a wicked cross. They, they knew who was coming. They knew what he was coming to do, but they couldn't possibly imagine it. And they didn't receive that which was promised. And folks, tonight we are in a way exactly the same. We have lived in the days since Christ came. We know the stories off by heart. We have the full, completed canon of Scripture, every page God breathed. We have so much in our benefit. And yet, you and me, today as we wait for Christ's second coming, as Robert preached about this morning, we may not live to see that. Here's the reality. We may not live to see another day. It was Samuel Rutherford who once said that there is absolutely more chance of you standing in the resurrection than you getting up out of your bed tomorrow morning. That's the reality for us. We may not see Christ's return. But just like believers of old, we can rest in the promise. We can rest in the fact that Christ is the object of our faith. And Christ is not a liar or fraud or charlatan. He is the one who makes promises and the one who keeps promises, and even if we do not see them fulfilled, we will receive them. Boys and girls, it's like you waking up on Christmas morning and you've asked Santa for a horse. This Christmas, I don't want you fighting with your mum and dad if a horse is not wrapped up under your Christmas tree. Sometimes we don't get what we hope for, or we don't get to see what we once were promised. I was at Dobie's this week. I've been to a lot of places this week, and these are all true stories. Don't just make this up to, to make Jim in the back seat there giggle. But it wasn't Dobie's this week. I was meeting Noel Agnew. Uh, I, I wanted to uh, be encouraged, and so I met Noel Agnew, and he beat the tripe out of me. But as I was waiting on him, I was sitting outside Dobie's, and they have a lovely big Christmas tree, and you can go and add wee things to it, little uh, circular uh, bobbly things, and you write a wee message on it. And, and I would advise you not to do it, because if you're not depressed, you go and read that tree and you will be depressed. 
if you're not hopeless, read that tree and you will be hopeless. I sat down and I was looking through all these wee things and the first few were nearly making me cry, but you didn't want to stop. It was like when you open the biscuits at half ten at night, you don't want to stop. And I read another one and, and I was nearly in tears because the wee hope, the wee wish on that Christmas tree at Dobie simply said, I hope for a better Christmas, unlike last year's disaster. I was like, oh! And I pictured some idol sitting in the nursing home hoping for a better Christmas or, or, or some girl who'd made a big turkey and everybody laughed at it, hoping for a better Christmas. I couldn't help but think, I, I, what if your Christmas is even worse this year? What if your mother-in-law comes this year? But folks, we may not get a better Christmas. And we may not be around to see the return of Christ, but we will receive that which has been promised. These men and women commended because of their faith. And they didn't receive what was promised and the fact that they, they didn't see Christ. But that has not changed the fact that even now as we worship here, these men and women of faith, along with your granny and along with your auntie and along with the men and women of faith who we have buried from this church this year, every single one of them sees Jesus. Every single one of them tonight looks upon Christ with eyes of faith that we can only imagine in the here and now. They've received their commendation and now they have received that which was promised. Because in the plan of God for these Old Testament believers, these Old Testament Christians, in that grand plan, God had provided something better for us. That's a humbling phrase. We've read of men and women who did amazing things, whose faith was absolutely extraordinary. Men and women who, as we heard last week, quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign enemies to flight. And yet at the end of this book, at the end of this chapter, Paul can say God had provided something better for us. For us. The Old Testament was not the fulfillment of the plan. The men and women of faith looked forward to the day that Christ would come, and when Christ did come, God had provided something better for you and me. How many times in a week are we thankful for the fact that we can pick up our books like this and read them and read the very words of God? Moses couldn't have done that. Moses had no clue about the joys of the book of Revelation. Abraham had no idea how he would be referenced in the book of Galatians. We had absolutely no clue in Rahab's family that she and her family saved from the destruction of Jericho would be held up as examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And yet you and me tonight, we have this full, complete work, this book, this word of God. We have the better, we have the fulfillment, we have the substance. It's this that the confession speaks about in chapter 7. It, it says that, that we have fewer sacraments today. We have only baptism and the Lord's Supper. Compared to the church in the Old Testament, things are much more simple. We're told in our confession they are administered with more simplicity, less outward glory, yet in them, the word and the sacraments in them, it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and this is called the New Testament. My brothers and sisters, what a blessed people we are. 
And I really hope you're not staying up late tonight wondering what to get Scott for Christmas. Don't get up, don't stay up late. Get up early and, and ponder it. Go on to Amazon and email me and I'll give you a link to my wish list on that website. I hope you're not worried too much about what's coming to you from the big fellow with a big white beard under the tree on Christmas Day. Because you and me this Christmas have received something amazing. As Moses and Abraham and Rahab and David and Gideon and Barak and Daniel and his friends all looked forward to Christ, barely able to imagine who it was that was to come, you and I can look to Christ and we know what he has come to do. We see it at Calvary. We marvel tonight that his tomb is empty. We read about it from Genesis to Revelation, not longer just the Pentateuch, the first five books, but all 66. We don't tonight sacrifice a lamb on the altar because we know that Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. We have received this glorious, wonderful, better gift that often we take for granted, but tonight is to be adored. And we are to be thankful for who we are in Christ by faith. See, in the days to come, some of us will go and sit at our granny's house. And when it comes to opening our presents, we will watch as we get yet another pair of socks. And in our wee heads, we're thinking, I hope you kept the receipt, because I'm taking them back in the morning. Maybe I just think like that. Maybe you're far too nice. But the gift that we have received, we don't return it. We don't reject it. We don't treat it like something insignificant. We have been provided with something better than these men and women of faith. That apart from us, says Paul, they should not be made perfect. See, here's the plan. It was the Lord's plan to save the Old Testament men and women of faith. It was the Lord's plan to bring them to saving faith in the Christ who they couldn't see but was coming. It was God's plan to bring the gospel first to the Jews but then to the Gentiles. It was God's plan for Israel to be a light unto the nations and now we are the Israel of God. The church is the Israel of God, the light unto the nations. This is God's magnificent plan of saving, wonderful, grace-filled redemption. Apart from us, these Old Testament believers would not be made perfect. That's not to say we are better than them, that we somehow added to them. That's not it at all. But Paul in Ephesians 2 puts it this way about this wonderful plan of God. He says to us, Eden Grove, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both Jew and Gentile. He has made us both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here is God's plan of salvation worked out. We're not better than Old Testament believers. But we come and we make them perfect in God's fullness. We are the church. 
Paul speaks about the church in Romans 11 and he talks about it as the one olive tree that is us. We are the church. Jew and Gentile believers alike in the one body, the body of Christ, with Christ as its head, we are the church. Together, made perfect under the headship of Jesus. Friends, this is who we are. And this is so incredibly significant for for how we view ourselves in this world. See, Norwood knew is always good to meet, and yes, he sometimes shouts at you, and he meets about 78 people in Dobies, and he talks to every one of them, and you only go to meet him for half an hour, and you end up staying about three days later. But it is always good to meet him. And he said to me the other day, Scotty, he says, Scotty, do you know what our problem is? We have put our roots down in this world. He's from Ballymena somewhere. He's, he's not Scottish, but that's my best impression. We've put our roots down in this world. And he's right. We have. We have. Why do we get all worked up at elections? Because we've put our roots down in this world. Because we think we need to win here and now. Our guy needs to win. Our cause needs to be trumpeted. We need to be top of the pile because this is what it's all about. We put our roots down in the world. And yet according to the apostle here, you and I are part of something much bigger and much greater. It's not about a constituency. It's not about one wee section of this globe. It is about this whole world. And as we heard Rachel this morning, it's about the Czech Republic and Albania and Moldova and all these random places that we couldn't pick out in the map. It's about those individuals like Alton and Albania and Christina and Moldova coming to know Christ as their Savior. And it's about your wee elderly neighbor down the street who does not yet know Christ, but who you're going to call in with on Christmas Eve and share the faith. And why? Because she has put our roots down in this world and you want her to realize that there's something greater ahead. Friends, that is what this passage is all about. These men and women didn't have the fulfillment. They didn't have the substance. They couldn't quite imagine how God was going to save. It certainly, I'm sure, wouldn't have crossed their mind that it would involve Romans and and Jerusalem and a cross and a hill and an empty tomb. They couldn't have imagined it. And yet by faith they received their commendation and by faith tonight they rejoice in glory and their roots are not in this world because they look forward to the city that was to come. And so my brothers and sisters, with me tonight I pray that that will describe your faith. Whatever comes or doesn't come on the 25th of December, whatever joys you experience in 2020, a new decade, Do you know, God willing, if I get to 2030, do you know what age I'll be? 50. Can you believe that? Came to Balnehinch in my 20s, and I'm now nearly in my 50s. It's on the horizon. The next 10 years might be wonderful. They might be horrendous. We may not even get to see all of them. But by faith, we know who it is that we have believed in. His name is Jesus. And he is the greater Moses. He's the greater Elijah, the greater Melchizedek. He is the great high priest over the household of God. And your faith in him is the most extraordinary gift you could have ever possibly received. And yes, we live in dark and uncertain days. 
But Christ has come for his people. And through the faith that we have in him, we too will receive our commendation. And one day that faith will be shared and we will sing with our brothers and sisters of old and of new. Brothers and sisters who we knew and loved and missed and brothers and sisters we've only just read about in the pages of God's word. But one day our faith will be shared with them and sung with them in glory and our eyes will be opened and our faith will turn to sight. Tonight we can't imagine that. Tonight we marvel at all thoughts of glory or what it will be like when Christ returns. Tonight our heads can only do that image justice a tiny wee bit. But it is coming. God in Christ has provided for us something better. His bride is being gathered even as we speak from every nation. And one day we will stand before the object and substance of our faith, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so friends, tonight rejoice. You're part of the church. And rejoice. Because by your faith, you too will receive your reward. Amen. And we thank God tonight for his word.